Welcome back to the podcast, Jeff Isn't Working. I'm your host, Jeff Schroeder. This week I sat down with my good friend, Stephanie Zabel. Uh, Stephanie and I interned together many, many years ago at a mega church, and her and her husband uh, actually have been dear, dear friends of mine since then, and her journey has been incredible, and I was so excited to sit down with her. So please join us with that conversation that's in progress now. In our area. I'm curious, and I won't put you on the spot, but Abby and I have talked about, and obviously not our parents individually, but just collectively that generation. Like, does the does that generation feel very grandparenty to you? Or like are we missing out on a whole part of this experience? I am in elder millennial tech TikTok right now, and it's all about grandparents. And I thought I was alone in my like, man, I thought you guys would really want to be a little bit more involved. <laughs> like maybe, yeah. maybe like take a little bit more initiative and all every, like everyone my age on elder millennial TikTok <laughs> talks about like, you know, you didn't see my kids for two years because of COVID. And then we walk in the door and you don't look up from your phone. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, this is my home. So yeah, you are not alone. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love, like you know, I love my dad. He's the best. He really is like so wonderful, but not not really super invested. <laughs> not a grand, not a, not a traditional grandparent. A different way to do grandparenting. I yeah, we lived in our grandparents' house. At least I, yeah, every single Friday night I slept at my grand at my grandma's house. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I won't I won't put any of my family members on blast, but they know who they are and if they feel a little prick in their heart, maybe, you know, reevaluate your position as a grandparent. Just like step up your game a tiny bit. <laughs> right. So, tell me uh tell me about growing up. Where did did you grow up in Beloit? Yeah, I did. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I grew up in Beloit, lived in essentially the same house. We moved, we moved into, it's the first house I remember. We moved there when I was like three and then lived there my whole life. Um, I have three brothers. So I have one brother older than me and then two younger brothers were all like about two years apart from each other. And so um, very close, chaotic, but not in a bad way. It was just like a loud, wild house. And we were homeschooled. It's interesting because I grew up with a dad who was not religious by any stretch and a mom who was so, so, so invested in church. We were at church, I don't know, four or five days a week growing up. And, but my dad never went with us. He never, he never attended. And then um, we went to school, then we were homeschooled for a little bit, and it wasn't a religious choice, but I don't really know that it was more my parents didn't like the like curriculum of the school. My brother went for a little bit, and they were like, we could do a better job. In what way? Like they thought it was too padded, or they thought it was like yeah. not challenging enough? or Yeah, so I 
yeah, I, I think it wasn't challenging enough. My dad was a firefighter. My mom stayed at home and she was like really devoted to our education. So she went and got like went to schooling for, she's a teacher now, but she wasn't then, but she'd go to conferences. She was just super invested in it. And my older brother went to like kindergarten and my dad was just like not learning much and they weren't impressed with the school system. So they didn't pull us. I didn't have like a, a religious homeschooling experience, even though we were like super involved in the church because of my mom. Um, we were very social in our homeschool group. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were Cause that was kind of on the rise at the time, right? Like, like religious homeschooling. Yeah. Yeah. Was, and we yeah. were adjacent to that because I had friends who were homeschooled, but they were like memorizing Bible verses and we right. were not doing that. We were like doing actual curriculum that my mom was going to conferences to like learn how to teach. And then um, I went to public school finally in like fifth or sixth grade in Beloit. And was that an adjustment coming from homeschool? Was that like a no, because no, what happens when you're homeschooled? is you have one teacher and it's your mom or your dad and they just tell you how awesome you are. So when I went to, and I've carried this homeschool energy with me, anyone who's been homeschooled, <laughs> there's an overconfidence that comes with being homeschooled. <laughs> like Jeff, my, my first, my first year, I must've been sixth grade. They, I was in an English class and they were talking about, um, I can't remember, linking verbs or something. I don't even remember what it was. And I literally raised my hand and was like, I know a rap that I can help teach because <laughs> we made a rap of, of, these, of these words and I will teach it better than the teacher because I can listen them all. So I went in front of that whole class and I, I did the whole rap. That's awesome. Like my first time that I realized like, oh, not everyone thinks I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. They just stared at me and the teacher was like, thanks. Then I sat right back down. So I, I did not, it was not a hard adjustment. I really, I was so overly confident in everything that I did because I was homeschooled. And that's just kind of. That's awesome. <laughs> so. That's awesome. I mean, it's like that went different in my head, but it wasn't like crippling. It, it was just like, okay. Oh no. Was, What's next? It was totally fine. But then I, my older brother was like a per, the perfect kid. He'd like get up in the morning and read his Bible. And he was like, just this perfect kid. Everybody at school loved him. He got attention because he was like, I won't date anybody. And like, just like, I love the Lord. And I didn't get any attention because everyone loved him. And he was cute. And all my friends like, liked him. So I was like, I need attention. So I'm going to, and be the opposite. So I just went like, you know, had some wild years. And then my parents transferred. They sent me to a private school the last two years or three years. I can't remember now. So then I ended up in Rockford at a private school, a really small private school Christian life and hated it because I didn't want to go. I was already um, like in volleyball and cheerleading at my current, my old public school, my brother was going to Christian life because he had a soccer scholarship. And the night before he was going, my parents sent me down. They're like, you're going too, So you're going to be starting at a different school wow. tomorrow. And so I like, I wore his clothes for the first two weeks and I, <laughs> because I just wanted to like 
I was so mad at my parents. I'm like, I'm going to look so weird and ugly. And like, I'm going to make you so embarrassed that like, I'm not going to like lift up the Gregory name. And then he's all these cute boys. I'm like, oh, damn, why did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Didn't think this all the way through. through. Darn it. No, no, I did not think all. So I went there for a couple of years and then that is where we ended up connecting because it was my bridge to that area and a church that had like a ministry program. And I ended up staying, getting very involved my senior year, my sophomore and junior year. I was like the one everyone prayed for. And then my senior year gave my life to the Lord. Turned it around. Turned it around and then got like. What retreat? Oh gosh. It wasn't a retreat. I got in a car Oh, wow. I got in wow. a really bad car accident the week oh. for my senior year. My best friend, Amy, was driving and someone almost hit us head on at the top of a hill. And she uh, swerved to not get hit head on. We went into a ditch and she like overcorrected. Anyways, we ended up, we were at the, a huge hill. We flipped the car three times, but it hit my side every time. So she walked away without a scratch and I got super banged up. And wow. that moment, I was like, I remember I was laying under like the x-ray machine and then we got MRIs and I was like, okay, Lord, I'm giving my <laughs> life to you. So that was my moment. Yeah. Wow. That's, um, that's not how I imagined. I imagined it would be like, you know, winter fall retreat, maybe what's the first one in the year. The fall retreat is the, yeah, the fall retreat. retreat. There's a school retreat. And then there's a fall retreat and then there's a leadership. Wasn't there a leadership one in like January in Freeport? Yep. 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 And then there was, yeah, there were a few. I was, um, before I, when I was like the, what we call it the time your chase kid. So like the kid that, that people wanted to get saved, but like, you're a big trophy. You're a big game trophy. So I was the, so I can't remember if it was fall. I don't think it was Cormdale, the summer camp. These words are so weird. But I they did a um, play called Door Wars. Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that, was, that was that was when my brother was a, he was the good he was a good one. He was like the Christian, and then he yeah, and I was the bad one. And that was the genie was like I was in her small group. I was like. That's when you know, mm -hmm. and you've been marked. I was the what Colin had to like. He was blind in the play, and every time he put on these glasses, he could see. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, but with like spirit eyes, he could see yeah. what was happening in like the spirit world. Yeah. So then, yeah, me drinking at a party and all the things. So. I won't jump too too much around, but I will say that I still love the format of those camps with like the Saturday night, just novella, like almost like Telemundo level with the acting and the storyline. Um, it's my dream to do those in adult life, not with a religious base, just have like a weekend yeah. 
uh, camp experience. So I just want to plug that out there. If there's anybody listening that's interested in that message, I'd love to put that together. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's on the vision board for sure. So, okay. So you're at Christian Life. Um, When did they, when, who approached you and when did they approach you about like post high school internship? How did that come about? So I always saying, and at the church I grew up in, which is an actual cult, like it was, it's a cult. And when I left, I got, I got kicked out when I was like 14 or 15. The pastor from the stage was like, you are the root of all evil at this church. And I got kicked out. My mom still attended my, wow. I was not allowed to step foot on the like property. So I couldn't even pick my brother up. I had to park on the street to pick my brother up, my younger brothers up from like, (laughs) that's insanity, but also like the best punishment ever. Like I never have to come here again. No, because then other churches and bring the like pamphlets home to prove that I was still going to church. So it wasn't, Oh, anyways, I, had left, but I sang all the time. So I grew up singing. I was always singing at church. And then I kind of lost my, I couldn't do that anywhere. And so at the school I went to, I started singing and in like the choir and stuff. And then Jeannie, when I was, you know, still not super involved in the church, she asked me to Somebody was leaving Shelby. There was like a worship leader leaving and she was like, Shelby by Elphis. Yes. Who was incredible oh my gosh. in her just yeah. will. Oh. Her sheer will. That hand that snapped. Like she would power oh yeah. T shirts. I totally remember everything. Yeah. Anyway, oh, so yeah. I started singing and the um worship leader at the time, Sammy, Sammy and Shannon, something, I don't remember anybody's names. They were the worship leaders and they came up to me and were like, we want you to be an intern. And I hadn't even gone through senior year, hadn't like decided to stay in the area. So then once I actually like got started getting involved at the church and actually singing and really believing in, you know, all of it, um, I went to... I graduated high school, went to college at Rock Valley and like nine days in Sammy and Shannon came to me and they're like, we think that you're like, God told us essentially that you're the voice of the generation or something crazy. And so I quit. I can't argue that. I know. It's so manipulative, but I left school and I was 18 and was like, oh my gosh, these people are telling me all these things. So, and then I interned for them for three months and then they quit and moved to Florida. So then I took over. Wow. I know. And I'm still 18. So I took over. It was like their interim worship leader, me and this other guy, Tony. And we did that for a year. I remember that. Mm-hmm. We did that for a year. And I was running a small group. So I was super involved at that point. Then Jeannie approached me and said, um, I want you to be the first female intern, which I found out like days later that there had already been a couple. But it was this like the first female intern thing. Who were the, who are the other ones? Cause I, I vaguely remember that. Okay. Well, here's, here's the part. 
it was just me because Jeannie also was playing matchmaker and wanted me to marry another worship leader uh, that was there. And so she was like, you only need oh. to intern one year because it's the same year that this person is in their third year. Then you guys can get married and like go travel the world be, being worship leaders. Did not pan out. He didn't. Oh. Turns out Jeannie can't like make magic happen. So that was why she only asked But then a couple months later, they left. So then Jeremy took me to lunch and was like, you can still be an intern, but you can't be here for, you have to do two years. So you don't have to do three because you already have been involved. I'd been a part of a small group for two years. So they were going to be seniors that year. So he's like, you don't have to do three, but you have to do two you can't commit you can't do one year that's not going to be like enough time so was his reasoning to stay with the small group no, through their high school experience or no because they were my lap my one year interning with Jeannie would have been their senior year for whatever reason Got ya. So Got ya. last year as an intern I had nothing I had no small group or anything but Jeremy just said you had to do two so I came in with the class that was um like Matt and Justin. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that group. Dan. But they stayed longer than I did. So I ended up graduating yeah. with Scott. He was the only other person. Right. So, yeah. Really yeah. The, I think at one point, um, and to anybody that didn't live in this world, this, this makes none sense. of this will make any sense. Um, but at one point, and I can't remember exactly when it was, but I know there was like, I want to say there was overlap where like Scott's sister and I had casually dated for a little while. And then you and Scott were like starting to kind of not like pre-date you weren't dating yet, but you're, and then they were like, the three of you are going to be in an accountability group. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like. And we're all like, so does anybody have anything they need to talk about? It's like, nope, <laughs> nothing, nothing to report. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> I think about that a lot and I'm like, it, it was the best of times, the worst of times, it, you know, for a lot of people, but it really, there really were good times and great people, yeah. honestly. Like, I mean, you and Scott, like, lifelong friends that I wouldn't know outside of that place. So for that, it was great for all the other BS. Um, some therapists are making a lot of money Yeah, they are. right now. I mean, that's the interesting thing about my leading to that place is like, I came out of a cult. So when I attended and started, I didn't see, it seemed like nobody was saying from the pulpit, you're only allowed to read the book, the pastor writes, you're not allowed mm-hmm. to, you know, and, and where I went prior, like they would, we would have to give our like jewelry to the pastor. Like we'd have to trust wow. God with, I remember they would like, um, say, don't pay your mortgage, pay the church because you have, you're trusting God to like cover that. So people were like living in their parents' basement because they were, losing Oh my God, like, it was a total mess. So coming to where we met, it didn't seem at the time like it was a cult, but it also 
felt a little bit like home. So it wasn't also so different that, yeah, it, you know, I, I like fit right in pretty quickly because I knew the song and dance because I grew up doing the song and dance. So yeah, there's some definite pieces to it that I'm like, I'm glad I'm not, I shouldn't say, I'm not glad I went through it. I wish I had gone a different path, but I'm really glad, you know, to have met Scott, you, like the friendships that I've had yeah. from it for sure. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not to say that we all would have met in some other, yeah. you know, pathway. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think about that. That's like the good that I take from it. The rest of it is just kind of for the therapist to sort out mm-hmm. and for Abby to wonder <laughs> what the heck is going on. I want to get like everybody together with her now that the pandemic's over because she has so many questions and I'm like, I think she thinks that I'm like making shit up yeah. as I go. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, no, this is, this is real. This is a hundred percent. And she's like, no, no, stop it. Stop it. And now she says, um, shall I say in Jesus's name? <laughs> and I'm like, there's no, it's not Jesus. no extra S <laughs> and she disagrees. Um, Amazing. Yes. She won't believe any of Yes. So tell me about being the only female in this kind of traditionally, for the people listening that don't know, the internship was traditionally, it was run by an older woman named Jeannie Mayo, um, who had a very large youth group following. And she would handpick these like really popular guys usually that you know she had kind of hand selected to send out into the ministry so the idea was for three years you would like learn under her and then some big church was automatically going to scoop you up to be their youth group leader because you trained under this you know person yeah and so she approaches you to be the first female in that world what was that like I mean, because I can't speak from a dude's perspective. I, I, I would look back at that time and be like, eh, I mean, it wasn't really anything, but I'm sure you had a totally different experience, you know? I mean, it, it wasn't, I I mean, she did like sell it like that, but like literally two or three years prior to that, there was another, there was someone else. But the, that, um, the experience of being the only wasn't weird to me because again I brought home school overconfidence energy to everything I did. So every space I went to when I was younger, I was like, oh, I belong here. Not only do I belong, yeah. you should all be so thankful that I am in this room. So I <laughs> did not walk into it at all thinking I shouldn't be here. I was like, damn right. I of course I'm the first I am a trailblazer. So it was very uh it was a journey for me because once I was in that space, I started learning about like being a pastor. Cause we, we were in this ministry program to learn like, well, barely theology, but we were supposed to be learning theology, th- learning how to be in the ministry. And so it was confusing to me because I had this, you know, strong nature and I was very passionate about what I believed in. I would, you know, I was, I really never wanted to be someone on the sidelines of anything that I was doing at that point in my life. 
And yet I would also listen because I was, you know, getting this like hands-on learning from these pastors that were older than us. They would talk about their wife's role. And so it was always a little confusing because I'm in this ministry position, but also looking at all of these pastor's wives that were quiet and really submissive and really just following their, they would say like, I'm just here to like follow, make your dreams come true. I'm here to follow you. Yeah. Go like that was the language. And then I would hear like, you know, teachings on like how to, with your pastors, like how to get a salary as a pastor and how to get your wife a full-time salary by doing accounting at the end of the year. And by doing like a couple little graduation stuff and like, but how to get her paid. And so it was confusing to me because I was like, I don't fit into any of those boxes of what the actual people who are older than me were, but there weren't many people in the internship that were like, you shouldn't be here. And I think it's because I sang because it was very clear. I had like a, a lane, a track. Yeah. So I don't think I was a threat to anybody except for, you know, like two people. Um, but I, it was, it was when I was in that where I started to really believe because the teachings were so powerfully against women that I started to think that I was innately broken, innately sinful because of my womanhood. And I don't think, I've been thinking about this a lot lately since we've talked last, is I don't think I grew up believing that like I was a part of purity culture for sure. I remember going to like, Mm -hmm. you know, you like everyone take a bite of the apple and they'd be like, look at this apple core, whoever wants to like, yeah, take a bite of it. Like I was a part of all that bullshit, but it wasn't like my beliefs were being formed for my, you know, how I was going to teach and how I was going to be a minister. And it all was around who you are your strength is actually the worst thing about you because you are trying to take a man's role by being dominant. You're trying to take, you're not being submissive to a man's authority. You're questioning it. And that's not what a woman's supposed to do. That's not a Proverbs 31 woman. Growing up, we had this classic rock radio station, and they'd always say cool things like, if you're not listening, your sister is. And I never really understood that until much, much later in life. And, oh boy, that is bad. But what's good is Rockin' Vodka. Rockin' Vodka is a delicious uh, spirit made by great people for great people. If you're still having cocktails, uh, seek out Rockin' Vodka wherever you buy your booze. If they don't have it, say, hey, how can we get rock and vodka on the shelves so people can try it? Uh, rock and vodka, spread the word. Are you like me? Do you live in Chicago and are deathly afraid of heights so you never really fly anywhere? Do you also want to go eat delicious food in Spain? Well, you're in luck. At 5661 North Clark Street in Andersonville lies a little slice of Spain right in our fair windy city, Little Madrid Tapas Cafe. Go there for authentic Spanish cuisine, 
top is small plates, so you're not going to be overfilled. It's beautiful. The food is incredible. The owners are wonderful people. Uh, please go support them. They only take reservations, uh, so be sure to make a reservation. But but go there now. Stop the podcast and go there. In a weird way, you have this model in Jeannie. That's a woman of ministry, but Jeannie was still very much like simping for her role as a pastor. She would say from the stage, like, you know, my husband is the head of the, you know, whatever. And yeah, it's a very mixed message. It's a very like confusing message. So at what point you you both graduated and then you went to Colorado right after you graduated yeah yeah we went to plant a church and that went pretty awful and we for went- you guys not for the church <laughs> no. the church is doing great <laughs> yeah no it did not go great for us I mean we were newly married and we thought we had friendships but what we realized very quickly was we were just who was left so we were friends with other people because there was no, everyone else had moved. And so when we moved out there and thought we were like a part of something, we became the babysitters of like everyone's kids. And like, I was, I have, and this is why, this is the core like piece of why I couldn't, like every time I go work at a church, in my adult years, I would quit. It was always over how people handle finances. It just, made yeah. me so angry and I've had it since I was, even when I was an intern, it would make me so mad. And I think it's because I just, every time I ever gave to churches, it was so sacrificial. I never had extra. And so every time I would give, it was meaningful, but painful. It was not yeah. easy to make that choice. So to watch people handle money so recklessly, I just hated it. So when we first moved out there, it was like, we're first married and here Scott thinks he's marrying someone who is going to fit into this like pastor's wife role. I am like, oh shoot. I've also been telling you that's what I want. I don't want that. <laughs> like, that's not who I am. <laughs> so Change my mind. Like, I have a voice. <laughs> I have an opinion. It's very strong. And, and I'm, so we were like kind of battling out like our roles too, And then we were at a church that, you know, I was working there like minimally. Um, and I'm watching people play video games all day and I'm like, yeah, can't do, this is not, this is not what it is for me. Um, but I also lost my job. Like we came back from our honeymoon and I was working and, um, Sean walked in and was just like, Hey buddy, sorry, we can't, we don't have any more money. We can't pay you anymore. I was like, okay. So thank goodness we got a little bit of money from our wedding so we could afford rent that month. Wow. But I came back the from our honeymoon and went to work on Monday morning and didn't have a job. And it was just like a like a laughing conversation. And they hired someone else to replace me that Friday. So it wasn't like we can't afford to pay you. It's like we don't we would rather have a friend work with us. Oh. So that's what got me. I went straight to a um uh I can't, like a temp agency and I got two jobs that day, thankfully. 
So I started working in a restaurant and I got into insurance, which was the thing that kept us really floating for like seven years. Thankfully, I insurance ended up being something that was really good for us. And it was the job I always like went back to, but it was awful. And at the time, because we still were in this like really, really toxic religion, um, you couldn't tell anybody. So we had, we spent years, we didn't tell our family what happened. We didn't tell our friends. I had no idea for a long time. Because we thought, in fact, when we came back, we stayed for a year and it just was, it was not great. And, um, Scott, like it just was, it was bad. He has his own story to tell, but it was really bad and it was really painful. And so we finally were like, we can't keep doing this. Like this is just not working. I was getting so mad about financial stuff. Him and I, like he was really protective and I didn't understand like, are you protecting these people? Um, and, but they, we also were being told like, don't question authority, don't question authority. So I was in the wrong all the time because I was questioning everything and I wasn't allowed to, I shouldn't. So finally we left and I remember when we came back here, we had lunch with one of the pastors here and we sat down at, um, Mary's market and didn't even say anything. And he sat down and he goes, before we go, before we start talking, I don't want to hear one negative thing about that church because we are not talking about authority. We are honoring our authority. We don't question authority. And we were like, okay, we can talk about this. So we went to another pastor who married us and we were like, we need to, we just need a break. Like that was really painful. Like we financially, like literally you come back from your, you move out to plant a church, come back from your honeymoon and you lose your job with a joking, in a joking conversation, Scott didn't even, he wasn't even working. It was only me. And then a friend gets hired that, like, it just was so poor and it was really painful. And it put us in a really awful financial situation for years. It ended up being, but that pastor was like, if you leave the ministry, you'll never come back. God will never bless your ministry if you leave it. So that, yeah. That again, this is like the worst religious one. It's a not a great denomination. It's abuse. It's, it's abuse. Percent abuse and manipulation. Yeah. And um, but we didn't see it, so we just didn't tell anybody. Of it course was, not. It was years. I had a conversation one time. Years later, I finally a, a good friend was like, "What happened?" I'm like, I. I don't know. It was great. I was just trying to like make everybody sound like kind of okay. And like made it more like it was Scott and I couldn't handle it. Like it was just like too hard for us. And he was like, would you just tell me the truth? I'm like, I don't think I can. He's like, I think you can. And it was such a liberating conversation. Like I'd never told people what actually happened because I didn't think I was allowed to, you know, talk negatively about your, you know, religious this invisible hand of authority yeah yeah i mean how much how much like bad shit has happened under that umbrella of you know god appoints yeah our leaders you know don't question authority yeah well i mean i think when once i've removed myself from especially that specific denomination and you do look at just even the educational pathway mm-hmm. the assemblies of god denomination is the second lowest educated 
staff group. They're past. What's the first? Business. Now that may have changed. That was like a two years okay. ago that I saw that from um, Gallup. I would have thought for sure they were like ahead with by at least a, a yard. No, with second, like it was like a crazy, like 80% of the pastors are, don't even have a college education. And that's true. When you think totally, yeah, these people who we interned with and ourselves included, like we left high school and we went to a mm -hmm. music program that did not teach theology. And then we started churches with no theological training. I mean, and, but with certainty. But with such, and we always were told, we know, if we don't know how to teach, we know how to bring, we know how to like put on a good service. We know how to program. Mm -hmm. We can bring people here and you see it everywhere. So I think that was like the, I mean, that's just such a dangerous space to be. And I mean, it's still like prevalent, but, but yeah, I mean, it's rife then with manipulation because you, if you are uneducated in that space, the only way you cannot get called out and not be found out is to make sure that nobody questions you. So yep. you thrive in that kind of environment. Then the fear and don't question thrives in those spaces. Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's how a lot of like when people, you know, look at the institution of the church, interdenominationally but especially with like that evangelical full gospel pentecostal someone's god whatever you want to call that realm and they're like how can these people you know just allow this to go on or be so susceptible to this like false news in you know in the in the media that's exactly how yeah like and i i'm equally like angry at that population but also like feel bad for those people too you know what i mean in like a weird way yeah well, like, like there but by the grace of god go i in yeah. you know kind of yeah i mean i think the thing that was the the best thing to happen to me was that i immediately moved into a corporate environment and so my yeah. whole adult life was sometimes heavily involved, sometimes working, but then leaving after like a year or two because I get really frustrated with financial stuff and then going back to a corporate space. And so it kept me close enough to all of it that I believed in the, uh, like whatever means necessary, like people are still, transformation is still happening. So even though these people are internally or treating other people terribly and there's bullying and there's like manipulation, like we're still lives are being changed. So that's like the better thing. Like I was too close. I was close enough to still like think that was true and good and meaningful, yeah. but then I was far enough away to be like, that's not how it works in the real world. That is not like people don't just get into these positions of authority because they're a friend or because they are charismatic or because they're attractive or because they can speak right. clearly it and like hold a conversation. Like that's just not how it works. There's accountability and, um, right. so, yeah, it's, and, and, and to be honest, like, it's not just that, you know, I'm a dog on just like the one denomination, although 
it's clear it's a really unhealthy and abusive like denomination for sure. But we left and we're part of a non-denominational church and we're part of a Presbyterian church. And there's, there's a lot of mess in all of it for sure. There's, yeah, there's a lot of mess in it. And I don't, that's why like we, you know, I fully left a couple years ago and happily won't be back. And it's not because I'm like anti Jesus, but I really am anti Western uh, church for sure. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, I was skeptical of it from the beginning just because the church that like, that I came from was very much so like, I mean, they were evangelical, but they weren't like, um, at the beginning, they weren't very like, you know, everything's the spirit in the spirit, 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 spirits everywhere. And it was very much like, you know, on the ground, like they would come into Chicago and minister to people, you know, homeless people at the bus station and the, and the train station and things like that. And that stuff was like, that felt really good as a kid, even to just like do. And, you know, it felt important. It felt like we were doing the right thing in, in that moment. And that was good. And then like, as I kind of rose in the ranks, if you will, it stopped being about that at all uh-huh. and started being about this whole other thing. Uh-huh. And that's when I was like, this, yeah. this doesn't line up yeah. really, yeah. but they were letting me, and you can probably attest to this. They were letting me have such creative control that it was like, Oh, I love it here because like I can, you know, write these things and people laugh at them. And I get like that instant gratification and I'm sure for, for singing, it was similar yeah. So in that way, like the, their commitment to the arts and creativity, although exploitive, um, is what kind of kept, mm-hmm. I feel like people there that even knew better toward the end. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think the, the piece it, it does come back to me is, you know, the financial piece is really hard for me to reconcile because I do think, yes, the, the good that you do. And once I left, because you know, when you're, when you are so deeply ingrained, you do think like, Oh, there's, this is the only way to serve your community. You don't think you think to invite your neighbors to that space, but you don't think to become good friends with your neighbors. You think to invite like kids, friends to that space, but you don't think to become to you go serve at a homeless shelter, but you don't go on your own and become a part of right. the community. And so when there is this piece that like church can be a tool of service for sure. At the same time, there are so many other organizations locally that are also a tool of service. And I want to go to the one that manages their money in a transparent mm-hmm. and open way and where the people at the top are not matching the same corporation capitalism where the average income in these cities that you know a lot of these churches are at does not even come close to mirroring what the people at the top of these churches are making the homes that they're living in and for a while I got into this like you know I worked at a place and they're like it's you should be making you should have a living you shouldn't be just like barely surviving but there's a difference between like 
being able 100 percent your home and having a thirty thousand dollar pool put in or having multiple cars or like it there is just such a such a huge difference and i never made it to the top anywhere i always made 35k 40 like we were always at the low end of the like financials yeah you know more as we got older but like when i first started you're just making like no money but so we always were the ones that were the most disposable we never like experienced the financial benefit of like working in a church and so we still were very close to the service component but you know who doesn't yeah to the community service things except for for a picture and to like pop in are the people that who are running it so i just really that's my issue is if you really truly believe that you are here to serve a city you really truly are here to like show people what jesus looks like then don't send your volunteers to do it you do it and manage your money lead lead from the front lead from the front and and yeah transparent about the finances that people are giving to you and where it's going like so anyways it's not just i mean it's all the all the places but yeah the the financial piece really irks me i think the most still yeah i and i think you mentioned it it's worth revisiting modeling copying capital the model of capitalism in the church is like the complete opposite from what I understand. And I've read the book a few times. It's, it's the complete polar opposite of what is supposed to be happening. According to at least the second part of that book. Yeah. And that's not the case in the churches that you've worked for. And you guys have been more heavily involved behind the scenes than I have in like bigger institutions, but can you talk for the people that are listening that don't know like a range of of salary? Like what are some of the ranges of the salaries of like the top people? Oh, I mean, it's just matches corporate. I mean, the teaching, the conference gigs are 10, 20K of speaking. Wow. And, you know, I worked for a pastor that's, income was, you know, the house was paid for and you get the pastor salary. So let's say you make a hundred K, but you're not taxed, you're taxed on 30% of that or whatever that percentage is. Right. So much more money. And that, I mean, it's very, it's not taboo inside the church. It's talked about with all the staff. We would be, I remember I was on staff at a church in California and they were trying to come up with a way to like, you know, make more people pastors so they could benefit from that pastor tax, which I get for people who are taking a low salary, who couldn't do that work without it. Right. Someone's making 300 K not paying for their home and getting speaking gigs and book deals. Like it just doesn't line up with, no, it doesn't line up with who I think, I guess, or assume Jesus would have lived. So it's just, it's so corporate. I mean, and there's so many that like, you know, money is the thing that bothers me the most when I think about, uh, why I wouldn't attend and give my resources anymore. Like that's one thing, but yeah, you know, the, the way that I was treated as a woman 
the way that people who are not, you know, in the box of, you know, normal in church world. So somebody who is uh, non-binary, any sort of, any sort of human that does not fit like the exact type is just an outsider. And I, and that's like, that's why I won't ever fundamentally go, but the money is why yeah. I never like give my resources. <laughs> there's just, there's quite a few. It's amazing how like complete opposite it, it, it feels in that world. And just hearing horror stories of people that have just recently gotten out of it and watching, you know, documentaries about it. It's like just the complete opposite as I understand it. And to your point, like, that world very much devours its own. Like if you have any, you know, human moment or element, you're, you're done. You're yeah. gone. Yeah. And I feel like it's over. I feel for, I like, you know, my brother who I love so dearly is an, on like an executive leadership, my brother, Neil at a church. And we have candid conversations about, church. And so I'm thankful that I do have people in my life that like, you know, we can still, I'm not ostracized because of how I feel and there. And, but I also, I don't hate people because I spent decades of my life caught up in that and really believing. I think about even, you know, I hear when people talk about like how manipulative the music is. I talked to Scott about it. Like when I was in that world, I would have never thought I was manipulating people. But what I did do was I did think what song is going to get people up and moving? What song are we going to like end in? So I was, but I was so close to it that I didn't realize what I was doing. So there's so much of it that like, I, I don't think the intentions of people, most people's hearts, I can't, there's a lot of opportunists that are in for sure. But if the majority of people don't see it because it's all they know and it's their only friendship group and they haven't like expanded their relationships in any way to see a different perspective or to think, Oh, maybe this is off. Maybe I, maybe this isn't, maybe I'm wrong. And for me, the transformational question that truly changed my life was, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Now I started saying, what if about everything and it used to be so scary to ask that question but now that I'm so comfortable with it I'm like who the hell cares like I don't hold tightly to really any belief anymore because I could very well be wrong and there's something so freeing about being comfortable with not knowing and changing your mind because you learn something new and when I was embedded in, you know, a religion, I was so afraid to question or even to like potentially be wrong because it was my identity. And that meant like, if that's wrong, all these other things are wrong. I didn't want to go down that like path. Now that I have, I'm like, Oh my God, anything's off the, t- like anything yeah. is questionable. And I love that. I like, yeah, because I've learned and grown and changed so much. And now I realize there's so much beauty in indifference. There's so much more growth and learning and wisdom that comes when you have friends 
and a community like that don't look like you, act like you, think like you. I remember I always, yeah. asked, you know, in the corporate world, it was different, but in the church, when I was working in churches, they'd always be like, we just want to hire people that like, we're like-minded, like-minded, like-minded was always the phrase. And I think that's a detriment. I think that's actually like a really, um, well, it becomes an echo chamber. Right. It becomes like a, yeah, like a follow the follower and everybody think like, and that was, you know, not to belabor the institution, but one of the big problems is that they're just recreating versions of themselves instead of, you know, creating critical thinkers and, yeah. you know, and, and empaths to go out and affect change into the world. Well, um, it, it expands beyond church, like any huh? setting where there is power dynamics you absolutely whether it's church whether it's a corporate setting whether it's a any sort of like community group government like uh component like any of it when you do have any sort of power dynamics at place in place it's just it is an opportunity for a lot of mess yeah for sure. Especially to your point, what you're talking about, um, the lack of accountability in that environment. Like, uh, there's no one really overseeing where the money goes that cares. You know, there's no one kind of outside of like maybe direct embezzling, which it's interesting because, like, there is, to your point, there's a way where you don't even have to embezzle. If everything's paid for, you're basically like, you know, Nick Saban, the coach of Alabama, but for God and with resources that people have given out of what they feel like is their duty to give to the house of worship, you know, give their tithes and offerings. And how do you steal from God through your tithes and offerings? And, like to just, yeah, to just squander those. It, it it really drives me crazy. And we've talked about it. We're on a few different threads talking about like, you know, pastors wearing thousand dollar clothes and things like that. It's just, it's gross. And it, um, did you and Scott come, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, well, I was just going to say that the piece about that, that is when you're in these echo chambers, when somebody questions you and we question the clothes, the purchases, the way you're handling money, the way you're like being a steward of what you have, because you are a non for profit. So this is, I don't, I mean, I understand corporate capitalism. It pisses me off, but you are not established as a non for profit. So when you are benefiting so significantly from a program that is a non for profit, that is infuriating, but the level of gaslighting that takes place when you do have those conversations and you question that and inside it is, oh, well, that person is just rebellious or that person is bitter. And I think that's the part that's hard is I don't carry any bitterness. I can see the beauty there are components for sure, especially at certain churches. My beginning, like, you know, the internship, that was a mess and that was super toxic and unhealthy and like abusive for sure. 
but I was at churches that I really loved being a part of and I, they did great things. Like I don't carry bitterness. And at the exact same time, I would never go again. And because there is a lack of accountability and there's poor financial uh, reckless spending and, and it's, and it's kind of, it's, it's at all the churches. I bet at a lot of them, it kind of is across the board, but you do get a response of like, well, that's just someone who's better. That's just, so it's kind of, there's not like, um, a level of self-awareness that takes place of, well, maybe, maybe we're wrong.